McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans, most people forecast episode 154. Well, it's a new season and a new Pompey and the Blues have strikers who can head the ball and score some goals. Joining the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm really well, Hugh. Thank you. God, I love football. Football's back. Excellent result on Saturday. Football came home on the Sunday because of the England women's game. What more could you ask for? Yes, good question, really, isn't it? It was one of those things on on the Saturday where I was thinking after the first half, oh no, we definitely need that bit of pace from the break that we spoke about. Can't see us coming back into this. Wednesday, you know, pretty good team, going to be up there, thereabouts anyway. And I was like, ah. But then, obviously, it changed around. We're going to come into that. But how are you anyway, Fred? Are you all right? Yeah, yeah, fine. Um, In general, work's busy, but still rewarding just about even though we I wish we had more people uh aside from that yeah every, everything's been fine how, how things have been been with you yeah not bad mate to be honest and as you know I was saying to you off air that I'm buggering off to Switzerland next week at the end of the week so can't be that annoyed about that uh, lucky for some eh yeah I mean I'm only gonna look at chairs and architectural structural stuff so most people aren't going to be that interested by it but it's a free holiday right so can't complain about that at all but uh, let's get into it because we've got quite a lot to talk about so first of all we're going to review for the first time of the season the game against Sheffield Wednesday following for that we're going to talk about the latest news going on in the club and then we've spoke to Gary Hutchinson from the Stacey West uh, it's a phenomenal Lincoln podcast and site he's the guy that when we first got Danny Cowley in he came and spoke to us on the podcast about it and just really reassured our minds, Freddie, as well, about what a good manager we were getting at the time. And finally, me and you are going to give our score predictions and see if we can at least get the result right this time, which we did. So not the goals, but we'll see if we're spot on again. 100% record of the result. So anyway, let's stop bragging. Let's get into it. Sheffield Wednesday. As I said, we started out quite slowly in this game. And it could have been more than one nil at half time. But let's talk about the first goal because... Barry Bannon shows that little bit of class that we said. We're talking about getting a defensive midfielder to sit on him a little bit. And he found a little bit of space, didn't he, in the pocket. Plays that ball over to Windass, who runs onto it really well. My, my brother from another mother. And uh, he picks the ball up, bangs it in. And it's marvellous Marvin Johnson who uh, taps the ball in the back post, the left back. What did you think of the goal at that time, Fred? Yeah, it was gutting, wasn't it? And uh, for, for the people who don't know what Hugh was referencing there, yep, Hugh got uh, free drinks uh, in a pub because uh, one Sheffield Wednesday fan 40 looks like Josh Windass. 
So there we are. That, that, that's a strange claim to fame, but there we are. Um, to start with, Pompey really struggled. And I think the biggest reason why was Sheffield Wednesday's win-backs, Marvin Johnson being one of them. They were spreading the play in awful lots, making Pompey's shape very, very wide. And that just created more space for Barry Pannon in the centre of midfield. The entire tactic sort of revolves around him, but not directly. He's given so much creative freedom in the middle. And he just had that time just to play the through ball into Windass. And then Windass had so much time to put in the cross to the back post. Uh, I'm not sure where Rafferty was, <laughs> to be honest, for, for marking the, the left wing back, who would obviously over, uh, overlap there. Um, the extra man got into that space, put the ball in the back of the net easily. Def- defence was a bit shoddy. And Wednesday controlled the first half. And uh, I was very worried about it after that. Yeah, so as I. And I'd like to know really what Danny Cowley said at halftime to try and rally the troops a little bit and, and to reset the team because you've got to be credit. Marlon Pack was class this game, wasn't he? He really did run the midfield in the centre for us. And when you've got players like Barry Bannon, like um, Deli Adabashiri, we've come on to in a minute, it, 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 we needed someone to step up in the middle of the play. And Pack does that. He sort of works the ball down the right-hand side really well, just about gets the ball in before it goes off for a goal kick, puts it in the box. Ogilvy meets it with a looping header. Stockdale's got to do better with that, but we're not looking played about it, are we? He seems to take an absolute age to get over and put a hand up, but it goes in, 1-1, it's game on. Yeah, Pat was my man of the match by quite a way. He oozed class in the midfield. Um, didn't win many of his duels, but it's passing stats were through the roof I mean he had six out of seven successful long passes but from his 37 total passes he he was accurate 86 percent of the time and that included five out of six passes to the final third as well so he was contributing going forward he wasn't just a center fielder just popping it about sideways he had a proper impact going for uh, going forward breaking that line when Portsmouth were finally allowed to and it was a lovely, lovely float across. Ogilvy managed to get a fair amount of power on it because it landed right on his head. The cross was floated in, so it didn't have a lot of pace behind it. So Ogilvy did very well there. Wednesday would probably want uh, the keeper to do a bit better, but hey, it was it was one all. And slightly more excitement. And yeah, I wish I was a fly in the wall for that team talk because how many times did he say it last year where Pompey started slowly, Danny Cowley, said the magic words at half-time and then suddenly it's a completely different side. Yeah, and it's, it's such a change, isn't it, from the, the dark days of when we had Jacket and if we weren't a goal down, that was it, you, wasn't you, it? You really needed to mention that, didn't you? <laughs> well, I just I just thought that it just shows that we can actually rebound from a bit of adversity and going 1-0 down. That In the past, those players' heads would have dropped and that would have been a battering, wouldn't it? But instead, they'd come out firing, got the equaliser, but it didn't last that long, did it? And then the ball, you know, comes out again. Raggett probably for the second goal should do better with the clearance. Comes out again to Bashiru and he just absolutely smashes that one. We talked about goalkeeping um, on, on, the, on the Wednesday side, but you got to say Griffiths probably has to do better on that one, doesn't he? Uh, probably. Um, the I follow camera angle doesn't look brilliant. I think we'd properly know if it was a chance that he wished he'd have back. If, if you're behind the goal watching it. Um, I wasn't at the game, unfortunately. Rubbish trains and work, etc. But yeah, it would have been nice for, it would have been a nice save for Griffiths to have. It put, it put Pompey back on the back foot again, which was harsh. I agree with you. I thought the 
pass from Raggett was poor. I think I wouldn't have cared if he put it into row Z for a throw-in. That would have been fine. I do like it when Pompey's defence play out the back a bit, but he didn't really have a lot of options to play that pass, so that was a bit of a shame. And yeah, that, uh, Dave Bashiru was another one of Wednesday's midfielders that had a lot of joy in that game. An awful lot of joy. I, I like that that trio of him, Bannon and and Byers, because he just... He seemed to do a bit of everything, didn't he? He, he? he was he was strong enough defensively not to get rolled over, but also a proper box to box midfielder. And he had two chance he had two chances, took both of them, got into the pockets of space both times. And yeah, I, I'd be I'd be very impressed with his performance. Probably the overall man of the match, really. I know it's easy to say with two goals, but he did all the little things right as well. And it it fits in with the general pattern of the game pressing wise. Because Pompey were outpressed at this game in terms of PPDA passes allowed per defensive action. The lower the, the lower the stats, the greater the press. Sheffield Wednesday had averaged seven point five throughout the entire ninety minutes. Pompey averaged ten point eight four. There were long spells in the game where they didn't they couldn't get that right because they couldn't control the midfield as much as they would have wanted. Didn't win the ball back either. A lot of players had lower dual ratios than they would have liked. Um, especially in the midfield and the strikers. They didn't get a lot of joy in that regard, even though their passing was much better to um, offset that. And yeah, it, it, it was great to get that equaliser, but then I, st- I still didn't think, I still thought Pompey were fairly behind when they went 2-1 down, even with the little resurgence of the second half. Do you think that the the press is going to be a bit different if we play the two up front with, with Bishop and Pigger and the way we play? Because I looked at how even just how territorially we attacked, it was pretty pretty much down each wing. I think it was only 15% from the middle and, and sort of 40-something percent either way uh, on the left and right. It was quite balanced, actually. And sometimes Pompey sat quite lopsided, only attacking one side, and it's a bit predictable. But it was quite clear here that we found space, didn't we, in behind the wing-backs when they were sort of pressing forward. And that allowed us then to open up space and get balls into the box. Do you think that's a strategy that we implemented because of... Wednesday, I suppose, and how they play? Or well, potentially, potentially. Uh, the, the press will be different playing two up top than just the one. I remember, again, going back to Kenny Jackett since you mentioned him, his pressing 4-4-2 when we played that for about three months at one point, that worked very well, even with one less man in midfield who couldn't recover the ball behind the strikers. And it was a way just to get, it, like you said, in between that space between the centre-halves and the wing-backs, which is so important because all the play come out of the defence that isn't a longer ball has to go through the centre-halves isn't it so that's the area you have to target really and I think another reason why the press wasn't as intensive in this game specifically was Sheffield Wednesday were excellent on the ball (laughs) they were excellent on the ball the movement off the ball was also very good so there was always somebody in space always someone looking to receive a pass and uh, yeah that that just made things a bit more difficult for Pompey than against any opposition but hey it's the per- it was the perfect time for Pompey to play Sheffield Wednesday, I think. Arguably, on paper, the best side in the division. You could, It's easy to say, really, but even more to watching them, I think, I think that they're promotion candidates by a mile, I think. I had, them, you- I had them at one on my uh, list. I had to do my predictions for Forgotten Pompey Goals on a live Twitter thing, and I, I had them at one after doing... I, I think most people do, actually. Yeah. I think most people do. So, yeah, to get a result there was excellent, and... It's great that that second goal really showed what that strike partnership can do because many people thought Piggott wasn't as much of an all-round striker as they thought he was, but he definitely showed that in this game, didn't he? 
yeah, he was quite he quite linked the play up well, didn't he? When we needed to, he came short. I remember I was listening to it on the radio because I couldn't make the game this one, and you had Piggott dropping off a little bit then and collecting the ball and sort of orchestrating the play a little bit. And you can see that, can't you? When we talk about the next goal, really, and Thompson managed to win the ball back in midfield, which is exactly what we said in the preview, isn't it? We needed people to be on top of that centre midfield. Ball goes over Piggott. Again, he's not just a scorer, he's a creator. Puts the ball in the box. Colby Bishop meets it with an absolute header, a thunderous header even. And Michael Jacobs does the, the David Nugent by making sure it, it goes in and stuff. I, do you think it looked to me on the camera angle like that was that was Bishop's goal over the line? But they, they squabbled about it as a joke after, didn't they? I think Colby Bishop said after the game that they're going to he's going to have a word or whatever it was along the lines of both of them probably going to claim it. But Jacobs does the right thing just to make sure because it would be the most pompy thing ever for us to go off and celebrate, and then the linesman just a flag that it wasn't a goal or something ridiculous like that. But yeah, within five minutes, it's 2-2. Yeah, absolutely. And it was I think it was obvious the, what Pompey wanted to do in terms of targeting their attacks in that way, of just floating crosses, getting getting the players, attacking players in between the defenders, because that was what happened with the first goal, happened with the second goal here. Lovely, lovely pass from Joe Piggott that was classed as a key pass. Lovely header from Bishop, but and then Jacobs nodding at home. Couldn't tell if it was over the line. I don't know how goal line technology is not in the football league still, which is stupid. I mean, it it came into existence twelve years ago, and I don't see how it's not. But there we are. That's an argument for another day. Back to two all, and then Pompey took the lead afterwards, and it, and it was all guns all guns blazing from there, wasn't it? Yeah, and again, that talisman Piggott's involved again. The ball goes over, comes over the top, finds that space in behind. Johnson on the left-hand side, the goal scorer. Ronan Curtis, you know, cuts back and you're thinking, where are we going from here? And he just lays it off nicely for Piggott, who, who plays the ball straight into the box to find his newly formed strike partner straight away. And Bishop makes absolutely no mistake with that header as he thunders it home. And what was really great about that, again, is when we were talking about players we wanted to sign and, and we are talking about Colby Bishop, and Gabe was saying about how he's not like necessarily the tallest, but he finds space in between centre-backs in order to sort of that sort of clever movement and there was a lot of space wasn't there in between Wednesday centre-backs but again he heads that home 3-2 and you're just thinking can we hold out for a win? Yeah absolutely there was a lot of space between Hennigan and the Heckway and I offer on both sides um, and again it's always nice for a PO forecast signing suggestion who we actually signed comes off well happened with Ogilvy last season happening with Bishop this season so I think we deserve a uh, a tiny bit of freelance pay on the scouting, but never mind. But never mind. Yeah, awesome that Bishop got his headway with the one goal, arguably two, and he he just seems like a good fit. And it's good that the that he got that little connection with a strike partner already, which is also very nice. It was a shame afterwards that Pompey couldn't really control the game. Obviously, very hard given Sheffield Wednesday's skill set, and. Uh, yeah, it, it was a shame that they couldn't handle it afterwards, couldn't they? Yeah, exactly. I was going to talk about, obviously, Dane Scarlett came on. Let's talk about the another striker. Added a bit of pace, you know, threw himself around a bit. And he's unlucky not to win a penalty, wasn't he? After he got kicked in the face by, who was it? One of the Wednesday defenders? I can't remember who it was now. Uh, I can't remember who it was okay. either. I'll have, a, I'll have a look for you. But yeah, Stonewall penalty. <laughs> Absolutely Stonewall penalty. I'm sorry. And... Um, We've seen it a lot where a player gets the ball, but nowadays it's about how you get the ball, unfortunately. I'm all about the sort of centre-half on the midfielder, an excellent crunching tackle that gets the ball and the man. 
The problem is Dane, Dane Scarlett kicks in the face. Is is uh, with with a dangerous high boot? It's not. Yeah. It's not. There's no really going around that. And I think as a as a side point, Seb Stockbridge referee. I thought he had a poor game. Was giving was giving fouls that many weren't. He was getting he was getting picky with certain things, and then just folded here and just it, it didn't give that foul. Even though probably if it was in the middle of the pitch, he probably would have given it purely just on the fact of looking at the fouls that he gave previously. Yeah, that was a tough blow for Pompey. It was a real shame. Real shame. Yeah, yeah. That that would have been the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? I mean, the chef's kiss of, of the game if we managed to get a penalty there. Colby Bishop wants to take the penalty to claim his hat-trick afterwards, have a word with Michael Jacob and uh, grab the match ball. But didn't happen. And then Wednesday, obviously, their man, Bashiru, at the end, gets the equaliser. Lee Gregory gets sent off. Why not? Doesn't leave the pitch though. He just sort of hangs around. And he yeah, no, he stayed there for a little bit, wasn't he? Because because it, it was for dis- it was for descent slash time wasting, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it was weird because Pompey tried to sort of time waste as well, didn't didn't they? Um, he had like Griffiths go down, um, and then Danny Callum did that classic everyone over for a huddle, a drink, and a, and a reset. Because Pompey did look leggy, didn't they? At the end, then because obviously as a, as a neutral point, as a Pompey fan, fine. But if you're a neutral watching that game. You'd be absolutely fuming at that, wouldn't you? Because <laughs> it, yeah. it it killed the momentum of the game completely, and it, it was a tactic that was done quite a lot last season with the goalkeeper going down with the with the tweak to the to the hamstring or the groin or whatever. And also, I think that new five sub rule where you can bring on extra subs at a specific period that just plays into the hands of it a little bit more. Great. Which, as a football fan in general, I don't like because I don't really like the. The overplaying of, well, pundits call it game management. I call it time wasting half the time because that's what's literally what it is. It, 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 it brought the momentum stone dead and it did what it needed to do. We got the free old draw. It does leave a tiny bit of a sour taste in the, in the mouth if I wasn't a Pompey fan, really. But I don't know what you thought about that. That's probably just me overthinking my football as usual. No, not really. It's quite funny because the EFL came out and said about this whole, oh, we're going to be tough on time-wasting. And I'm thinking, how? In fact, you just... It's just re- weak up. refereeing. What they simply need to do is they just need to book people more for time-wasting. They just have to. Or or if you really want to, just throw in a red card. Why not? <laughs> for throwing a horrendous red card for time-wasting. Or or if you see a player doing it multiple times, give them, give them a booking and a booking. And then it's going to stop. It would be the same with diving if there was a stricture if there's a stricter allowance for people who obviously simulate, but that that's gone downhill, hasn't it? Yeah. So I think with that, with that strict thing on time wasting, it's going to be entirely down to how strong the referee is. And uh, it's football league refereeing, which I wish it was better. And I do think they get a lot of slack, but a lot of it's justified. I think Ainsworth would have been happy watching that game, seeing the, the time wasting play out. And- oh, he's loving those new rules, isn't he? Oh yeah. my God! He, he 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 he's already figured out what he's doing from the 65th minute onwards, hasn't he? Or even the 45th in some games. Yeah, definitely. His mates got bought around after he found out that there's going to be five substitutes allowed. You know, Ainsworth's there just buying beers for everyone in the pub to celebrate. But yeah, anyway, three three. You happy with the happy with the result? I'm really happy with the result. I would have taken a point at the beginning of the game. I know that Pompey went ahead and then lost it at the end, but they were behind twice. They showed that resilience from half time, showed they don't just fold, even if it started, doesn't go very well. In terms of the analytics, they were outplayed in certain aspects. Um, 
probably had more XG actually. Um, the one point three XG for Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday compared to the one point seven five for Pompey. A big chunk of that was Michael Jacobs' goal from a yard, obviously. But even then, it was still enough there for me. Um, but Sheffield Wednesday had much better analytics in other ways. They had 12 deep completed passes and crosses compared to Pompey's five, 20 touches in the penalty area compared to six. And a lot of that was down to their great playing possession. Pompey won back possession at a reasonably higher weight, but also were behind in progressive pass ratios and everything. So a lot of the technical standpoint, the home side dominated that game, but Pompey were very clinical in the way they counterattacked. And but they were more than just an average counterattacking side away from home, weren't they? They, they? they went forward with purpose, they went forward with pace, created space down the wide down the wide areas and exploited what Sheffield Wednesday were weak at. And that is what I want Pompey to do every time they go away from home. Or really if they're playing against stronger opposition, even if you can't control the whole game, look at what the opposition are weak at and exploit it completely because that's how Pompey can get results against sides that are spending more money, money on wages and have better players on paper at any rate. One thing I have to take away from the game is I still think we do need a right winger if we're going to play 4 4 2. You know, Curtis has never been that effective on the right. I do as right well. Uh, I, I, he seems a bit lost out on the right side. Um, I thought he did reasonably and then Hackett came mm-hmm. on to Breesby as well but I think we need just that explosive white winger really just with a lot, a lot, a lot of pace and a lot of um, just uh, courage to just skin a fullback take people on make them on the back foot. exactly exactly exactly. and Danny Cowley's been harping on about that's the sort of player he wants left so we'll just have to wait and see on that one obviously there was links with Joe Ward from Peterborough well when I say links um that's Crook said it on Twitter, and Dara McCann, uh, then Dara, the Peterborough chairman, said mm-hmm. no, and that's really about it. Really later, yeah, that's really about, that's, that's about it. Really, I don't think there's much more to say on that. Really, I think, I think that's where the interest died. To be honest with you, and yeah, well, there will be a lot more options, and there's still a lot of the window left to go. I'm just thankful that really, Pompey are just after those few extra things in the transfer window rather than looking at key positions. Like, could you imagine if we only had one strike of this game? Yeah. Oof, no. no, I don't I, I don't remind me of that. That that thought that thought in the head that could have easily happened. One thing I'm quite happy about is in seasons past, we seem to have had to create a lot of chances constantly to be able to get a goal. It's almost like it, it was a lot of effort for Pompey to score. And then what would happen is even if we we're on top in games, someone would go down the other end and just a, a clinical striker, I don't know, a Matty Taylor at Oxford or someone like that just just puts one away and it seems quite easy. And you're like, well, that's how you do it. So it was really good to see Pompey actually get out there and, and be more and, clinical. And do the opposite, yeah. And, and yeah. just even, even looking at the box score, um, seven shots, five on target. That's an excellent ratio compared to Sheffield Wednesday, 17 to six. And I was like, it doesn't matter the, the amount of shots or the amount of possession. It's what you do with those things. How clinical are you? What do you do? What do you do with the right play? And Pompey did that really well. And it, it sets a very great precedent for uh, the first home game on Saturday. Massively. And, and Pompey fans generally happy with the result, start the season with positivity, and then back down Fratton. Um, Fred, where do you want to go with this now? You, you've got some news sort of stuff that you wanted to touch yeah, on. Yeah, sp- speaking of Fratton, uh, it was reported that the North Stand, yes, I know, very clever, the North Stand will be at full capacity for the first time in a decade. Um, that was um, 
said to Neil Allen in an interview with the overall capacity of the ground going up to above 19,000. Uh, have you seen the pictures of the stadium at all? Uh, areas around the south and the north end look very nice. They're very properly done up. Obviously, there was a lot of hoo-ha. You, you, you were taking piss out of the seats, uh, obviously, when they were being put in. And I don't know. Well, it, it, seems, it seems, again, that that's a more positive view, whether that's because of the results on the pitch or the transfer with us, that people are a bit more forgiving. But yeah, I don't see a lot wrong with the renovations, do you? No, and we'll see on Saturday, won't we, what it looks like in person. Uh, that's one of those things, really. I think it was. It looked like they were putting up a temporary scaffold, weren't they? That's, I think that's what people were talking about, especially in the South Stand. But then again, I think there's quite a lot of planning application issues, isn't there, with that stand? Because there's only so much you can do with it being listed or whatever. So... I suppose it is a little bit complicated, but at the same time, it does look it does look good from the aerial sort of shots and people's camera phones where they've sort of taken pictures and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to going back and seeing what it's like. I don't think they've done much with the front and end, have they? Me and you sat in the same not, place. Not that I know of. Yeah, I know. Back in the back of the front and end in the standing section behind the goal. Lovely stuff. First ever season ticket. Very excited. Very yeah. excited for that one. And excited, excited to go back to Staggery, a good brewery. Not sponsored, but I wish. But oh, that'd be so good. What a good sponsor lo- lo- Love that brewery. <laughs> I tried to blag that whilst very drunk, and it's never, never got me anywhere. Not even no, a free no, pint. No, it hasn't. Uh, any fans of the building men- mentioned that you turned up because of PO forecast. That might actually help. Yeah, that even if you didn't at all. Even if you didn't, just say it. Help us out. Come on. Why not? What's it going to cost you? Nothing. Just tell people that. <laughs> Then I'll get a free pint and it'll take my spending down from spending a shitload of money on beer constantly and, you know, maybe get one or two free, who knows? But, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to getting down the brewery. Anyone who's down there, we're going to be down there from the usual time, about 12 o'clock. So come and say hello, have a beer, and uh, we'll get get pumped up, fired up for the game. So, but just going into something else, you had something on Hadji Minoga for anyone to talk about quickly, right? Yeah, it was a nice little feature in uh, news where Hadji Minoga was talking about his time playing for Tanzania um, in some African Cup of Nations qualifiers. And he said his long-term vision was to create a, a football foundation to do, uh, well, sporting extracurricular activities in Tanzania to basically show that people from the country can go as far as they want, depending on their football talents and their work ethic. Um, he qualified for Tanzania through his dad, Suleiman, who played for, well, was the next player, who played for Arsenal and Cardiff, which I didn't know. And yeah, he just wanted to inspire the next generation of Tanzanian players. Um, so if you want to know more about that, that's a very good feature to look up. Um, and a little technical thing, which we can discuss. Um, he mainly played right back for Tanzania, but he, he himself in the interview said he preferred playing at centre-half. He thinks his skill set suits that more. Uh, do you agree, Hugh, from the games that you've watched that he suits centre-back a bit better? I do. And when we had him on the podcast, he said he's a centre-back, really. He's just that typical thing that, pro teams do when they get a young player up and they try and put them into a position where he's he's got a bit of pace about him let's put him a right back because he's a little bit less you know defensive responsibility playing in that position you sort of like you know eke them into the league a little bit and then you sort of move them across the centre-back when they get a bit more experience and used to playing against sort of you know bigger older tough strikers and stuff like that we should come and talk about in in the Lincoln interview um shortly so yeah I do think he is that I think he looks he still just needs a little bit more game time doesn't he I think a whole season if you go out somewhere, maybe in League Two. I think half season at minimum, I think. Yeah. Or, or it might be, I think you mentioned it before on the pod, the half and half measure where he stays until January in case we can't get another like a right-sided centre-back we want to play a back three and also right-back cover. And then he might 
he, he might get in January if we bring in that second player or if we feel like we don't need that cover that much, he can go out on loan to the League Two side second half of the season, get those games in, in an intense clip and see how he goes. Because he played it, he played really well at National League level and I think that's now beyond him. I don't, I don't think another loan to National League will improve him that much. I think uh, some League Two football will definitely open. Yeah, and we'll hear a bit more about as in the coming days, I think, about some of the young players going out on loan as well. So um, it's not been announced yet, but I think there's quite a few of our younger players now going to be going out for a mix of teams like Bognes one, but also there's a few teams I know in the National League who've been sniffing around a couple of players. So that's going to be interesting to see when it comes out and whether the club decide to, to send them out to the, to the National League or not. So I don't know about Haji Minoga, but that'll be interesting to follow as well at the same time. All right. Should we do the should we do the interview bit? Yeah. All right. We spoke to Gary Hutchinson from the Stacey West. They are a Lincoln City video podcast and site. They do excellent content. He was the man we went to speak to about Danny Cowley when we were finding out that he was going to be our next manager. Gary's a great guy. He's got a really good tactical analysis on where the club is, and it's quite a it's quite a detailed, interesting chat. So here's our interview with Gary from the Stacey West. All right, I'm here with Gary Hutchinson from the Stacey West. And Gary, thanks for going on the show. No problem. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Well, it's been a bit of a, a sort of a rebuild, isn't it, after last season? It's a bit, a bit disappointing, I suppose, from an outside perspective. It looked, you know, what your league position and, and how you did. But coming into the summer, obviously, you've got you've got a new manager in, in a new direction. And, and how do you have the fans feel about your summer generally and, and where you're going this season? Um, well, I think... It depends on which fan you ask, um, because Michael Appleton leaving was a divisive subject. Um, many people thought he was on the right track. And last year we were we were dogged by injuries. Um, I mean, unbelievable injuries. At one at any one time, we had sort of 11 first team players out, captain leading score. It was just a nightmare. Uh, but then others were fed up of his football passing across the back time and time again. No forward momentum, no plan B, certain players being frozen out. So when he left, I think. Those that were were kind of pro Michael Appleton still felt relatively positive. Look, it's a chance to go again. It's a chance to push on. And obviously, there was a lot of people going, "Yeah, finally we can see forward playing football." And um, the summer, unfortunately, uh, has been far too short. Um, I was chatting to a club official at the weekend. We've got four signings expected, um, three outgoings. It, you know, we had a team. I think on Saturday that that uh, and we'll have one against you this this weekend that we won't be having won't have in October there'll be three or four major changes we're still lacking the the headline signings so it's still a work in progress it still feels a little bit like pre-season um so the big summer signing really was probably Danny Mandrew from um uh oh this got the after the name Shamrock Rovers there we go it's been a bit been a long day um but he arrived injured and hasn't played so it, yeah everything's a little bit up in the air at the minute there's a real air of uncertainty hope but uncertainty there's a lot of that uncertainty come from, from the who, who replaced Michael Appleton because obviously Mark, Mark Kennedy some people I've heard different opinions from all over the place what's What's the take on Mark Kennedy as a manager as we sit here now? Um, it's an interesting question because he's obviously unknown, but his personality compared to Michael Appleton is one that gets fans on side. So instead of leaning by the dugout, whether you're 3-0 up or 3-0 down, he was he's constantly kind of 
working the players up and down, very much more like Danny Cowley in that respect. And there are still a lot of, of Cowleyites lurking within the Lincoln fan base who kind of, they want that animation. They want the fist pump. They want the sweet Caroline. They want all that. Um, in terms of his experience, I was worried, if I'm honest, you know, 12 league games with Macclesfield, one win other than that, just done coaching. I read some of the stories about him as a player. He was a bit of a wild kind of um, wild, wild child who, who didn't waste his career. He played at a very good level, but he certainly waste, seems to have wasted talent he had. Having met him, I was lucky enough to, we were lucky enough to do a live podcast with him and, and um, we had a presentation afterwards for a select group of kind of supporters who had, who had won a raffle. Um, you know, his footballing philosophy is sound. Ultimately, it depends what happens on the pitch. And thus far, I, I don't count pre-season. That's, that's training sessions. Thus far, we've had 90 minutes, um, 20 really poor minutes, 70 decent minutes. Um, but the proof's in the pudding. We won't know anything, I don't think, until September. You mentioned on the pitch just now. Obviously, Lincoln, their first game of the season, got the one or draw against Exeter. Tom Hopper getting the opener, Hakeem Adelaide and getting the assist in. I think the report said that Scully had a reasonable chance at the last minute, maybe to snatch the game, but that might be BBC being BBC. What was your overall view on the game uh, as a first game of the season, at any rate? Um, I mean, obviously, you, you kind of, I'm kind of cutting in some slack. So, first game of the season, I don't expect to see the best Mark Kennedy product in the first game. I get that. For 20 minutes, we looked incredibly naive. I mean, this is a team who um, had exactly the same personnel that finished the League Two season. They've made no significant signings. For me, it's the sort of game that you really should be winning. If it's in October or November, I expect us to win it. But they've got quick forwards, Giovanni Brown and Sam Nombi, and they caused there's no end of problems early doors. We lacked pace at the back. There was a big gap in front of the defence. They could have been 2-0 up straight after their goal. Uh, and then something just clicked uh, and we began to look a more coherent side. Um, bear in mind our midfield consisted of Lass Sorensen and Max Sanders and Tashan Oakley Booth. Well, Max Sanders and Lass Sorensen couldn't get a game last season, so it felt like a reserve team, but it very much wasn't. Um, as the game wore on, you began to see the changes. We were willing to go longer a little bit more often. We were hitting the big switch from left to right, full back to winger more often, which we didn't do last season. Um, Hakiba Delican, I thought, actually had an excellent game and he was woeful last season. He was really, really poor. He didn't get, he got a chance. He, he kind of messed up. He then couldn't get back in the side. So there was there was certainly some positivity. Tom Hopper you know, had an awful season last year, speaking to him last week. He was injured going into it um, and he just never got going. So, it had a familiar look about it in the personnel. I mean, in terms of new signings, Tashan Oakley Booth played and was poor and came off. Paddy O'Connor played at centre half. Um, Carl Rushworth in goal. I think that's more or less it. Um, but it, yeah, it, it wasn't a bad start. Scully had two great chances, um, two cracking chances to score and missed them both. I'm not convinced what his best position is, but um, I think there was cause for hope. You know, you go into the first game of the season with a new manager, you don't quite know what's going to happen. One nil down, 20 minutes to a team that were in League Two. You think, oh God, here we go. Um, but we bounced back well from that. So I would have preferred us to have been playing a Port Vale or a Forest Green or a Cheltenham or an Accrington this weekend, because I think it's a tough ask for us to come to your place and get anything. Um, and I don't want to see the momentum snuffed out, but you know, that's football. It's been quite a you know a short summer, isn't it? And the transfer window is still obviously open for quite a long time. Still, and you know, Pompey still wants to try and get you know a right winger in really to sort of replace Marcus Harness. Obviously, went off to Ipswich, but I'm looking at your squad now and thinking there's quite a few key positions that you need to add, isn't there? And where would you say you're looking for the team to sort of add? Is it going to be in the middle um, of midfield, or you know, where do you think Lincoln really need to add to make this squad as good as it should be? 
I think the one position we need we won't get, um, which is the holding midfielder, Liam Bridcut left. Uh, he only played 14 times last year. He was a massive loss, but he he turned down a new deal. Rumours was he was training with Derby last I heard. Conor McGrandall's left. I, I, mixed feelings on that, to be honest. He worked hard, but, you know, I could work hard on a football pitch, um, but it wouldn't mean anything. So we do need that position. Last Sorensen did very, very well on Saturday. He's a little bit lightweight, one that can probably develop. But at this stage of the season, I don't see that sort of player coming available. I don't see you suddenly finding a, a 27, 28-year-old holding midfield fielder that has got the experience you need to come in and conduct uh, a football team being free unless you spend money we ain't going to spend money so it's going to be loan players I think I expect um, exciting young pacey players we've done really well in the loan market over the last few years Lewis Fiorini and Brooke Norton Coffey last season obviously Brennan Johnson Morgan Rogers the year before and there's been some other notables like TJ Oma who, who we've signed um, this time out Tyrese John Jules who was actually pony um, but there we go um, but I, I, that's what we're going to do so I think we're going to be looking at a, a right winger probably like you guys we've signed Charles Vernon on the Vernon on the left from Bradford he's I think going to be a starter I think we're going to look for some pace there. We might look for some pace in the fullback areas as well. TJ Oma did very well on Saturday, but I would expect us to look for a Brookborn Cuffey. Jamie Robson, not so much. And we sold Cohen Bramall, who was, you know, like, um, like Speedy Gonzalez. He went. I expect us to replace that, but with lone players. Um, and finally, I think we'll probably try and bring in a striker. We've been linked heavily with Tyler Walker, but I'm told today that that's the player trying to push the move, not, not us. Um and I think that'll probably be about the extent of our business. If it was with Tyler Walker, it's interesting. You've spent you know part of the season with us online. Uh, obviously, Danny Cowley brought him in. He's played with him. He had him before as well with you. But for us, he really struggled. Um, so if you miss out on him, from my perspective, watching him play, um, he really wasn't that good at all. A lot of Pompey fans slam him a lot harder than that. But I do think also he's a, that sort of penalty box striker. They didn't quite fit the way we play. Uh, especially Danny Cowley didn't press at all, just sort of wandered around a lot up front, sort of got lost a lot. So you, I, I think it might be a, I don't know how you're playing now, but would you need in a 4-3-3 those three front players sort of pressing or how how how's that work? Yeah, I wouldn't, I personally, I wouldn't see Tyler Walker being the player that we want because you, you play the three front players, but technically the, the kind of the two on either side um, are, are looking to be wingers. I mean, Hakeem Patella can play there and he was hugging the touchline. As I say, we were hitting him with the switch and, and then looking to try and get the attacking midfielders running into the channels. So kind of trying to pull back. So um, you, the striker that we need, in my opinion, has got to be strong. He's got to be able to win headers. Carl Rushworth, um, first game in League One, but was at Walsall last season. Brilliant distribution from from kind of you know from his hands from his feet when we go long though it needs to stick I don't see Tyler Walker winning headers against some of the bigger uglier defenders I mean you know Sean Raggett will will head a brick wall away um if you throw it at him uh, and he's gonna he's gonna bat a Tyler Walker or a Tyler Walker figure off the ball we had Liam Cullen last year you guys were linked with him as well I think um too lightweight and, and it's all well and good at league one loaning these players in who are quick or exciting who are coming from the Premier League but Dan and Lundell, who's a classic example last year, we loaned him from Southampton. Big, strong-looking boy, like you know, built like John Akindi, quick. You think he's going to be great. But he was battered because he's not ready to fight the defenders. So the centre-forward, in my opinion, in League One, you've got to have is like a Tom Hopper or, I mean, not John Akindi, but that kind of player who's 
been around or will fight or will battle. I really liked Josh McGuinness, who was at Hull and Wigan, that big, horrible, nasty kind of all elbows. Michael Smith was another, wasn't he, at Rotherham? Put the ball at their feet and say, beat a defender, and it, it's pointless because they can't do it. Stick the ball on their head and they'll bring your, your double eights into play or they'll get it out wide and they'll create an opportunity. But again, that type of centre forward is not available to Lincoln City um, at this stage of the transfer window. Something I'd say, Gary, with the with the lone players thing, and I get slated sometimes for that. But there we are. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you don't think that Lincoln will get much during the transfer window left. Is it, is that mainly because um, the board are being sensible with their money and not throw, throwing it around like some of the other clubs are doing, or is it just trying to find the right player and not buying players for the sake of it? Yeah, I mean, just to clarify. I, I think we'll have joy, but what we tend to do is aim a little high with loan players, etc. I think what, what you'll not see Lincoln City doing is going out and spending £200,000 on a 27 or a 28-year-old with no resale value. And that's it's a, it's a cringy thing to say, but that's kind of the model now, is that we're looking for players that we bring in who have probably been injured, like Ted Bishop, or players who are coming to the end of their pathway at the club that they're at now, like Tashan Oakley Booth with loan from Stoke. But he's out of contract at the end of the season. So he comes into us and we're probably looking to take him further, like we did with TJ Ioma, who came in on loan, kind of we picked up from Spurs. So I think we're going to be looking for somebody in that mould. So when I say that we're not going to get joy, I mean, in terms of you know the experienced headline kind of player. And look, we got burned last last year because we we, we brought that player in, in Hakiba Delican, being in the championship, being on loan at Hall, scored three and 12. Ripley won up, arguably, you know, Ripley won up with Scunthorpe when he was there, came in and was woeful last season. I mean, um, was, was, was accused of being lazy, which I think is lazy punditry to call a player lazy. Players aren't lazy per se. They just don't do the right things. Um, you know, he was dropped at one point. We, we went out of the EFL trophy last year because we won the up at Carlisle and Hakiba Delican went for a drink while the ball was in play. And the player that he was marking ran free, landed at his feet and they score. And he didn't play for us after that. So we've spent money or, or it didn't cost us actual money. But we spent wages, etc., on an experienced player you think is going to come in and affect the team. And we got burned. They ain't they just ain't going to take that risk again. It's not going to happen. Probably got quite a lot of joy against Sheffield Wednesday in the second half. And again, we started quite slowly in the first half and in some ways lucky not to be more than one down really against Wednesday. And then obviously we go 3-2 up and then you know it ends up being a 3-3 sort of neutral thriller of a game. We got, obviously we brought in Joe Pickett up from alongside Col- Colby Bishop. He's obviously come in for half a million pounds, Mackington Stanley. Both of them looked very assured on the ball together and also quite a decent threat in the air as well. So... How, how do you feel that Lincoln's defence will deal with the, the two new Pompey strikers? Well, first of all, can I say Joe Piggott for me is the dream striker. And, I, you know, I've heard loads about Colby Bishop and the money he'll cost and everything he'll do. Joe Piggott, even when he was at Maidstone, I remember when he was there and he was tearing up the National League. He went to Wimbledon. He did it there. He was wasted at Ipswich. How Ipswich have let Joe Piggott go out on loan, it baffles me, absolutely baffles me. But anyway... Um, it's interesting. Last season, if you'd asked me that, I would have been predicting a 6-0 defeat for the Imps because we could not head anything. We had one defender who could head the ball and he, would spend, he, he had three different incidents of concussion um, and ended up being out for like the half of the season. Is at that Lewis Monsma or is that no, No, that was um, Adam Jackson. Lewis Monsma did his ACL um, in the first game of this year. He was out as well, but Monsma's a a stylish defender on the ball, but he ain't an animal. He ain't a Sean Ragger or, 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 or somebody like that. 
However, we've just signed Paddy O'Connor, who Bradford City fans said, yeah, he's great if, if you want him to fight people and get sent off. And I kind of think, well, actually, that would be a bonus, a little bit of fight. Um, and Regan Paul's dropped into centre-half. I really like Regan. Uh, he's a real, he's a warrior. Um, you know, he's, he's 23, but he plays like a 28-year-old defender. I actually don't think it will be as easy for you in the air um, this this kind of this time as it was as it was last season for many many teams. Um, when it comes to being assured on the ball, that's a different matter altogether because Exeter passed through us with with relative ease. I don't think that the back four have got the same protection with Lass Sorensen that they had with Liam Bridcut. And I think when you've got centre forwards who get the ball at their feet, certainly two centre forwards, it's your defensive midfielder that needs to be the real problem. What I will say about Lass is he's, he's like a fly that gets stuck in a window he'll just keep banging into you and banging into you so he's not the strongest but he ain't going to stop um it's going to be interesting it really is yeah well i think we're quite excited i think obviously we were quite sloppy at the back originally for the first goal as well so it's one of these things where everyone's just bedding in a little bit the team sort of both sides are sort of just sort of feeling their way in aren't they you've had a lot of change we've had a lot of change of players as well so it's going to be quite going to be quite an interesting thing to see how it goes. But Gary, I'm going to get to that delicious part before you go off for your sausages, you know, you've got your dinner on. So I want to know <laughs> what your score prediction for the game is on Saturday. Brace my heart uh, to predict anything um, negative for Lincoln, but I can't see us getting anything from the game at all. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go for a 3-1 defeat, I think. And who do you think is going to get your goal? It's a good question because <laughs> I don't know where a goal was coming from on Saturday. Um, I'm going to say Scully. He got into two great positions on Saturday. I mean, one of them was six yards out with the keeper in front of him. The other one, it was it was superb. So um, I'll say Scully to sneak in at the back post and get a, a late consolation. He's a, he's a good player. Freddie had him highlighted on players he wanted us to go after in our, in our transfer special on the wing. Do you think he's still going to be around on a sub point by the end of the, the next month? Yeah, I do, because I don't think he's a winger because he doesn't have the pace to beat players. Um, I don't think he's a centre-forward because he's not quite big enough. I don't think he's an eight because he's too forward-thinking and we don't play with a ten. So at the minute, he's kind of, he's like that luxury that you don't really know where to play him. And I think that that's probably holding him back in scouts' eyes as well. So having said that, I am the kiss of death. Everything I say, the opposite happens. So we're going to win 4-0 at the weekend, but Scully will be sold tomorrow. Love that. And Gary, tell people where they can find you. Um, ooh, <laughs> sounds a bit stalkerish. Yeah, yeah, uh, not your house, which looks lovely <laughs> in the background on video. But uh, where can they find your uh, your work and writing, etc.? Uh, yeah, so you can find the site at stacywest.net. Uh, that's for the written content. The video content is the Stacy West on YouTube. Amazing. Well, there you go now, and uh, good luck for the rest of the season, apart from Saturday. Thank you, lads. Same to you. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Gary, for coming on the podcast. It seems like a good time. We said it was a good time to play Sheffield Wednesday, Freddie. This seems like a good time to play Lincoln as well, which has got me quite excited because their squad just really isn't complete, is it? Yeah, Gary mentioned there are a lot of holes. Um, also, classic thing with a new manager, one, uh, trying to implement a new style of play. That definitely takes some time. We saw that with Danny Cowley last season. So, yeah, it would be the perfect time to, you know, Portsmouth might be slightly ahead of them. I think the main thing you mentioned was Lincoln City's defence didn't do that well against against uh, passing against passing teams going through them, which I think is a big thing. I think Pompey will t- change their tactical setup for this one. 
go a bit more possession based, a bit more not uh, not slower, but more methodical in their play, trying to pick the right passes, switching the play an awful lot to spread that back four, try and find those gaps again, which I think could work. Um, it was mentioned that defenders like Regan Paul, Paddy O'Connor, TJ Yoma are fairly fairly adept in the air, but the gap between them and the midfield is gets quite big. And then also the gaps in between the centre-halves, that, that can be cut open fairly well. So I think that's what Pompey needs to do, not necessarily try and exploit those gaps with pace, but just very methodical technical passes. And I think Pompey got the talent for that going forward, haven't they, to exploit that little weakness there? Yeah, I'd quite like to see people like Pack building the ball up in the middle and Thompson and then just trying to find a nice pass through to Jacobs who can maybe run at the, run at the defence and sort of create a little bit of spacing behind for the strikers. Do you reckon that they're going to set up Pompey in, in a 4-4-2 in the same system and then just play it through a bit more? Or do you reckon they'll switch it up for this game? I mean, I don't see why not. Um, even though there is that gap between the defence and the midfield, like I mentioned, I don't think we desperately need someone to play number 10 there. I think Pickett, Pickett drops off enough and Pack is given the licence to go forward if it's Pack and Thompson again. And also we see Jacobs and Curtis, both those players like to cut in and play the ball a little bit. So both of them can fill in those half gaps, can't they? So I don't really see changing formation or much of a change aside. It might it might be the same starting eleven, which would you would you be against playing the same starting eleven again? I, w- I wouldn't be. Not really. Is, is Robertson back for this game? I don't I haven't heard anything. Mm. I don't think so. No. And I mean, it's not really the sort of game where if it, if he's not a hundred percent, why would you play him? Why would you? Why would you risk putting him in? I think Morrison. I don't think Morrison had like a good game, but he didn't have a bad game either. I would say same with Rafferty. Both of the, both of them were fairly solid. So you just play them again, and then you've also got the League Cup coming up as well soon. I think that's that week, or it might be the week after. So you're going to start getting into midweek games as well. So yeah, play, play the same team since it worked last time. I don't, I don't see any reason why not. I think it was interesting that um, Anthony Scully was mentioned as a danger man, but not really a player that fits into any position, which is very, a very strange place to be. Uh, but he seems like a player, even though he drifts a lot, it might be the sort of player for Thompson to sit on or if he's playing at ride, Rafferty can sit on him if he's on that side, a player who can mark out fairly well. And if they're going to the byline an awful lot with crosses, with that switching play, then Pompey could just pack in the middle like they, like like other teams did against Pompey years ago when they when they over-relied on crossing, where you could just pack the penalty area of extra midfielders and then the counter-attack with pace afterwards. And we got two up front that could do that. Obviously, pace might be lacking up front, but we've definitely got the technical ability with the passing where we could break through it anyway. I, I don't see I don't see pace being the overall factor that can limit Pompey doing that. So yeah, I'm still fairly positive, especially after that performance on Saturday. I don't see much much that can um go wrong. But hey, it's the beginning of the season. They get it could be a complete one eighty performance, can't it? Yeah, we just don't know yet. As we saw with the game of game of two halves, I suppose, um on the weekend. So Freddie, all right, let's go for it. I want to know your score prediction. And goal scorers, please, for the game on Saturday against Lincoln. Uh, I'm going to go positive first season ticket game. First game back at Fratton Park, redeveloped. Going to go for a 2-0 Pompey win. 
And, I, and for goal scorers, I'm going to go one each for the strike partnership. I'm going to go with Bishop and Piggott because Piggott played excellently and he should get his goal. Um, did I mention his excellent passing stats? He had 0.6 expected assists in that game, which is insane. But he didn't have, he didn't have a shot in that game, which is very strange. He didn't have a shot against Sheffield Wednesday. So hopefully he does get a chance to um, be a bit more of the striker. And yeah, 2-0 Pompey win for me. I want to go uber positive and go three 0 Pompey win. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna crank it up a little bit. Why not? I think I was gonna go Bishop Piggott and Jacobs, and I think that's because of the fact that Gary was saying about people running at them and causing trouble. Well, I think that sort of suits Michael Jacobs then to even just play a one two and go for on goal or or have a shot when they're backing off him. So yeah, I'm gonna go for a three 0 So it's probably gonna be the complete opposite now. Pompey win and we'll see if we can get our results going again mate and see if we can get a win and make it at least two out of two results right which you're correct yeah absolutely we'll, we'll try and be as accurate as we can and hopefully next week we could also play guess the xg because andy's not with us and obviously the fans are clamoring for that but so when exactly. we get three people on the pod again after a game that's going to be a little something extra to enjoy and he's actually changed his mind. He's actually now a massive fan of Guess the XG and XG in general. When he was yeah, saying, yeah, I know he was on about it. He, he found himself in Australia. He just he, he just had the epiphany looking at the sun and thought, you know what, expected goals that actually works. Yeah, I really exactly. enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. Someone taught him how to count, and now he's all about XG. He's actually realised it. He's going to be sitting in the back of the frat and just with his little notepad, just sort of like rating it himself, his own XG. Well, he can now, can't he? He's had enough practice. Exactly. He's going to be at the back of the frat name. There's a little notepad, just 0.2. He's noting it down, his own model. <laughs> Fred, thanks for again. <laughs> he's going to love that. Oh, he definitely is. Oh, people wondering, Andy is still about. It's not, we're not going to string this on for a year or so, and Andy's back next week, and he's actually just moved to Australia. <laughs> Fred, it's been awesome having the podcast, mate. <laughs> Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Lovely to have you back on. And uh, yeah, well, well, I want more episodes to come up for the rest of the season. Exactly. And uh, yeah, we, for all of you coming to the game, we'll see you and have a beer. But until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!